0: I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. This week, we're continuing with the Historical Mentor Series, and I'm going to be highlighting Esther on Kim. Now, I did an episode about Esther on Kim several years ago, but it's been a while, and she's such an amazing woman in history, and I've been so impacted by her story time and again as I've read it that I'd love to just freshly take a look at her life and share a few things that I didn't cover in the last episode when we talked about her. Before we jump in, I wanted to let you know that this is a great time to register for our 2024 Set Apart Conference. Makes a great gift for Christmas, and there's a special discount going on for our early bird special right now. So if you're interested in joining us in 2024 in early June, you can click the link in this podcast description or go to setapart.org and click on events. Also, if you are interested in a season to come away with Jesus and become grounded in truth, consider joining us in 2024 for one of our five-week or week-long programs at Ellerslie. If you've already been through one of our Ellerslie programs, we also have an advanced program that you can join us for in the spring. So go to Ellersley.com and click on Overview of Programs if you'd like to learn more about those options, or you can click the links in this podcast description. So let's unpack the life of Esther On Kim. Her Korean name was On E. Sook, and she courageously stood for her faith during the time when the Japanese military was overtaking her country during the Second World War. She was a teacher at a Christian school for girls, and the Japanese were really persecuting Korean Christians at that time and forcing them to bow at the Japanese shrines, otherwise they would be put into prisons, tortured, and killed. And she was under a lot of pressure to go. They always had them go on the first day of the month to bow at the Japanese shrine. A lot of Christians were... Bowing outwardly, even though inwardly they remained loyal to Christ, they felt like the only way to preserve their lives and their families and their homes was to do what the Japanese were asking. And even though the principal of the school and a lot of the other teachers, even though they were at a Christian school, they decided to bow and they put a lot of pressure on Esther to do the same thing because she, if she didn't, not only would her life be in danger, but the school would close. And there was this one day where she had tried to avoid going to the shrine time and time again, and finally she couldn't avoid it any longer. And the principal came and confronted her and said, even though we as Christians hate to do this kind of a thing, we are being persecuted with a power too ruthless to stand against. And we need to make a compromise for the sake of the school, because if they close the school, nobody will be able to come here and hear the gospel anymore. And so she was in this really tough situation, but she knew in her soul that she could not make that compromise. She knew that God was saying, do not bow to any other, but the one true God. If she defied the Japanese military, it would very likely mean torture and imprisonment. But she decided this, I will not live my youthful life for myself. She was very young at this time, and she was basically realizing that she could be throwing her life away, that any chance of a normal, comfortable life or a good job, a good education, all of that could be gone if she made this decision. She said a silent prayer to God as they were on their journey to go up to the shrine. She said, today on the mountain before that large crowd, I will proclaim there is no other God but you. Her group was the very last to arrive at the shrine that day. A huge crowd had gathered and they were standing in these straight, respectful lines. They were really afraid to move because the Japanese guards were watching their every move. Some of the Japanese authorities were eyeing them in disapproval already because they got there late. Her heart began to pound with dread for what she was about to do. And she talked about in her book how a sense of unease swept over her. And she started repeating the Lord's prayer over and over. She prayed, Lord, I am so weak. Help me do this. Watch over me as I stand for you. I think just to pause right there in her story, she was this frail, sort of mousy, timid girl. And she talked about in her book how just normal social interactions were really hard for her. So she wasn't the bold and courageous type naturally. And she felt so weak as she made this decision. And I think sometimes when we look at people throughout history who have made a bold stand for their faith, we think of them as just being rock solid and they weren't wavering and maybe they were a little bit nervous, but they just knew boldly what they were supposed to do and they just charged into the fray. For her, she was she was shaky and weak the whole time. It was only just leaning with complete dependence on the strength of God that gave her the strength to do what she did. So the commanding officer told the crowd to bow to the sun goddess and as one, the whole crowd bent the upper half of their bodies, bowing solemnly before the shrine. Esther was the only one out of that huge crowd who remained standing, looking up at the sky. And as soon as she made the decision to do that, the fear and the uncertainty that had gripped her just moments before completely vanished. And that's totally supernatural for someone who felt so weak going into it. But calmness and peace flooded her. She knew she had done what God wanted her to do. So as they were walking silently back to the school, all the students sort of wondering what was going to happen as a result of her action, she continued to talk with God. She said, I have done what I should have done. Now I commit the rest to you. I died today on that mountain. Now it is only you who lives through me. I leave everything in your hands." The school closed as a result of her action, and for months she lived in hiding. She knew it was only a matter of time before they found her and put her in prison for the stand that she had taken against the Japanese, because defying the Japanese military was basically the highest crime you could commit at that time. Instead of cowering in fear and in worry about what her future held, she had this attitude I have already embrace the crucified life. My life is no longer my own. And she decided to train for prison life. Rather than trying to avoid it, she wanted to prepare for it spiritually and physically, just like an athlete would train for competitive sports. She counted it a great honor to suffer for Christ. She also knew she was weak and unready for everything that lay ahead of her. She wrote this, I knew it would be impossible for me to keep my faith in my own power. God would have to work through me if I was to stand firm. I decided to fast. So many times before she had already fasted for three days without difficulty, but now she decided she was going to go without food or drink while she prayed for an entire week. So this was like a really big decision as well. She went on this extreme fast because she knew that the only way that she could keep her faith in a prison situation was to be fully and completely dependent on God. And that fast she described later was extremely difficult. She was struggling to breathe, but when she was finally... Done with the fast, she raised her hands in victory, thanking God for being with her. And she said, "'Although I had not expected it, after the fast, I was able to understand the scriptures better, and I felt a new power in my prayer. I felt like I could leave the fear of torture in the Lord's hands.'" I think that is really amazing because instead of dreading what might come, she actually spiritually prepared for it. And it doesn't mean that the only way to prepare for hard times or torture or imprisonment is through doing that kind of a fast. but that was how God led her to prepare. And just to see how it deepened her understanding of the scripture and gave her more power in her praying and gave her freedom from fear of torture is really, really beautiful to see. She talked about how she would hear these stories from other Christians who had been in prison and the torture they had gone through, and every time anxiety crept back in, she fasted and prayed. She said, I found a peace I had never known before through her times of fasting and prayer. I read the Bible earnestly, and I had a new desire to memorize important chapters against the day when I would be in prison without my Bible. She also began sleeping on the floor, learning to live in a state of poverty and going without all the comforts that she had grown. Grown up with so she would be prepared for the harsh conditions of prison. Whenever she went to the market to buy produce, she bought ripe fruit for her family, but rotten fruit for herself. And when her mother and sister saw the decaying food she selected for herself, they got upset and they felt bad and they cried, but soon they understood that this was the kind of food she'd be forced to eat in prison. So months of faithful, diligent preparation, fasting, memorizing scripture, praying, training to endure harsh conditions, all of these things transformed Esther from a weak, frail, faltering young woman to a bold and confident ambassador for Christ. So instead of fearing torture, she boldly faced it in the power and the grace of God. At that point, she felt God calling her to come out of hiding and boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel to the Japanese. She had refused to bow at the shrine of the Japanese sun goddess, and that was one thing, but now she felt God calling her to boldly confront Japanese officials about their persecution of the Korean Christians and about God's judgment and about the hope of the gospel. She knew that this would very likely lead to her death, but she was determined to obey no matter what God asked her to do. So, she had this one moment before she went in to confront these Japanese officials that she felt she was supposed to speak the gospel to, where a Japanese retired general who was a believer wanted to adopt her as his own daughter. He wanted to support her financially and keep her safe from prison and torture and all of those things. She had already made up her mind that she was supposed to speak boldly to these Japanese officials. And he sat down with her before this and sort of tempted her to walk a path of less extreme consequences. And he he said this, It is not necessary that you die to serve the Lord. With your faith and your ability to impress others, you will be able to do much for God. But her response is really surprising. Here's this older gentleman who's really taking a liking to her, treating her like a daughter, saying, you know, I'll support you, I'll protect you. He even offered to sponsor her way to go to Bible school. So it wasn't like he was asking her to leave her faith. He was just asking her not to risk her life, to share the gospel with the Japanese, but she had already said yes to God. And this was her response. You think that I am a living person, but I am already dead. The moment I stood up for this task, I, on Isuk, died. And that's really an amazing understanding of the crucified life. When we say yes to God, when we say, Lord, I will follow you wherever you lead me, no matter what it costs, and then we're baited towards self-protection, but we say, no, I am no longer a living person. I am crucified with Christ. It is not I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. And we're no longer self-protective, but we are willing to be sacrificial. And so a few days later, Esther and another Christian friend walked boldly into a gathering of high ranking Japanese government leaders and delivered the warning that God had placed on their hearts. Of course, the leaders were infuriated, and she spent six years in prison on the brink of death being tortured. At one point during her prison sentence, she was given the opportunity to be transferred to a more comfortable prison with better food and more freedom, but she actually chose to suffer in the worst prison amid horrific conditions in order to support and strengthen her fellow Christians who were also suffering for her faith." In so many instances, she chose sacrificial love over self-protection. And I know when I look back at her story during her times of prayer and fasting and asking God for his supernatural grace, that it was only the supernatural grace of God that enabled her to do that because so many of us, most of us, would naturally be as self-protective as we absolutely could in a situation like that. But she chose the harder way time and time again. One time in prison, her arms were handcuffed behind her back for days until she finally passed out from the relentless pain. The intent was to torture her until she finally denied Christ. But even though her body and her mind were broken, her spirit remained strong, rooted and grounded in truth. She would not relent no matter how horrible the pain became. And she emerged from that torture even more victorious in her faith. Another time, she gave up her meager prison food to a woman who was filthy and insane and and sentenced to death for murdering her husband. Everybody else wanted nothing to do with this woman. She cried and screamed and talked incoherently all night long. She was filthy. And yet, instead of being repulsed by this woman, like all the other prisoners were, Esther prayed for her night and day And she asked the guards to transfer this woman into her cell. She sacrificed her own food, her own comforts in order to reach this woman's heart. And that woman eventually died in her right mind, not insane, knowing Jesus Christ and having a hope and a future. That kind of sacrifice and personal suffering for Christ is so foreign to my mind when I read it. It's so foreign to most of us. But I love the fact that with these Christian heroes that we look up to, these people that have done these incredible things for the glory of God, it's not their strength. It's the strength of God working within them. And we serve the very same God. As I've said in many of these episodes, there's nothing out of the ordinary about most of these people. They didn't have that many special gifts or qualifications. A lot of them seemed underqualified for what God had called them to, but that was because he wanted to show his strength perfect in their weakness. And I believe that only someone who has really given up everything to follow Christ can exude that kind of grace in the face of that kind of hardship. She was always witnessing to the other prisoners and to the guards. She looked at prison as her mission field. She wasn't just trying to endure it. She wanted to make the absolute most out of every moment, out of every day, even though she was cold and miserable and suffering and dying. I am so challenged when I read her story, would I be willing to make a similar choice? Would I be willing to choose hardship and suffering and danger over self-protection for the glory of God? Her story really challenges me to ask the question, am I prepared to suffer well for Jesus Christ? In the midst of our comfortable Western lifestyle, it's really easy to think, you know, yes, of course, if persecution came, I would never deny the name of Christ. If I were thrown into prison, of course, I'd remain strong in my faith. But I think it's important that we ask ourselves, are we truly dying to self daily the way Esther did, or are we more concerned with protecting our own comforts and interests than in consecrating our lives fully to Christ? Because if we're not willing to lay down our lives and choose that narrow way of the cross now with the protection and the comfort we have, then when it becomes even harder, it's going to be that much harder for us to choose the narrow way of the cross. The only way to be a true follower down the narrow way of the cross is to willingly give up everything, take up our cross. And follow Him. When we're more concerned with how many likes we have on social media than on what priority Jesus has in our daily life, we're not actually training or preparing to suffer well from Christ. When we're preoccupied with having enough time to go out with friends than we are to spend time in God's presence, we're not preparing to suffer well for Christ. When we're reluctant to give our time, our resources, and our energy to others in order to preserve our own comforts, we're not preparing to suffer well for Christ. We aren't going to gain Esther and Kim's version of supernatural boldness and sacrificial love in our own strength, just by human willpower. It first and foremost requires surrendering our lives and letting the enabling grace of God work in and through us to do what we could never do in our own strength. And secondly, it requires laying down self-interest and not just coddling our own comforts and our own desires. Of course, there's nothing wrong with time on social media or going out with friends or having material comforts, but when those kinds of temporal things become more important to us than Christ, when they become the main focus of our life, when we're not willing to give any of self up in order to serve Christ and follow him, then we're not choosing the narrow way of the cross. It's very easy in modern society to live selfish lives and just put a Christian label over them. Esther on Kim really counted the cost of following Jesus, not only on the day when she refused to bow at the shrine, but every day thereafter. She counted the cost when she willingly and gladly gave up comforts and trained her body to endure hardship for the sake of Christ. She counted the cost when she came out of hiding and boldly proclaimed the gospel among the Japanese who had power to torture and kill her. She counted the cost when in prison she endured horrible misery rather than deny her faith in Christ. She counted the cost when she sacrificed Loved a filthy woman who was insane and gave what little she had in order to win her to Christ. Esther's life was no longer her own, and every outward decision she made reflected that inward reality. When we desire to do, quote, big things for God, we need to first stop and ask ourselves whether we have truly counted the cost of following Him. It's really easy to look at the glamorous side of following Christ and the benefits of following Christ and forget about that narrow way of the cross. Even in the most amazing suffering, the benefits of having His presence and His grace and His nearness and the power of Christ working in and through us, as Paul says, that I may know Christ and share in the fellowship of His sufferings. What an incredible and estimable privilege that is. A lot of times we think that in order to prepare for an effective ministry or to have an impact on this world, It would be great to gain a large following on social media, write a book, gain some sort of worldly attention, maybe through an accomplishment or an athletic achievement, or have a lot of money that we can start big things and do big things. But really, as we see in Esther's life, the best way to prepare for a world-changing ministry is to first die so that Christ might live through us. Paul had every reason to boast in his earthly accomplishments, and yet he threw them aside as worthless and counted his suffering for Christ's sake as his greatest most important achievement. When self remains at the center of our lives, the only impact we'll really have on this world will be shallow and humanly derived rather than eternal and God scripted. We may make a temporary splash. We might inspire a few people here and there, but if we don't take up our cross and follow him, even in the small areas of our daily lives, we won't be ready to reflect the supernatural radiance and grace of heaven in small areas or in big areas. I believe the world needs more women like Esther on Kim, women who unreservedly take up their cross and follow him no matter the cost. It is my prayer that it will become our greatest desire to follow that kind of path, to prepare to suffer well for Christ, whatever that looks like in our own lives, to joyfully endure any hardship for the one who gave everything for us. The world will never be the same when they encounter such a life. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into living a set-apart life for Christ, I encourage you to visit us at setapart.org and look at the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.